Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. <laughs> I can't believe we almost had an election. I, I can't believe. I mean, listen, when we first reported our first story in 2015 about We Charity, I did not have a glimmer of a notion that this was in any way a Canadian politics story. Yeah, but that's how it goes. Like you start pulling on a thread and, and you just don't know where it's going to take you. I mean, when Jaron, uh, when Jaron Kerr, he did his big investigations of We Charity for us. I mean, we had trouble getting anybody to pay attention to those stories. We could not have dreamed that it would get to this level where, I mean, Parliament was prorogued to prevent questions being asked. And then this threat of an election. <sighs> I'll be honest with you. I feel relieved. I did not feel like covering a federal election. I did not feel like participating as a citizen in a Canadian federal election right now with everything else that's going on. But I also feel a little bit gross. I mean, they were able to shut down these questions and they said, we'll answer them when Parliament comes back. And, and, and then they didn't. And now I feel like we're never going to know, you know, are we ever going to know what's behind those boxes of black ink? That the, uh, that the government used to hide those documents. I mean, what's under that black ink? Don't you want to know that? What was so bad that they went to these lengths to stop the inquiry from happening? So I don't know what to tell you. It's been a trip, you know? It's, it, it's been a trip waking up every morning and, and getting called a, a conservative news site that we're working with the conservatives. I mean, we hear this every day now. People who think that this was a plot against Trudeau, you know, and I know that if we had gone to the polls and then Trudeau won a majority, 
then we would have heard from conservatives who feel like, you know, Canada land helped that happen and, and that we're a bunch of Justin journos. You can't win. But the people who are upset with us out of this idea that we were like out to get Trudeau with this information, we lost some supporters over that. There were you know, not a lot, but there were a few people who, who felt like, I don't know that this was an unfair story or, 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 or that maybe there was some kind of like team up or conspiracy with the conservatives, uh, Canada land and the conservatives, and they pulled their support. You know, and like I value every subscriber, you know, I mean, I'm trying to run a business here and, and we, we try to give a lot of respect to the people who pay us to do this work. But in those cases of people who are actually willing to stop supporting us because of our coverage, I kind of felt like, like, what, what would you have rather we done? Like when we found out that the political side of this was not what Canadians were being told. When we had proof that people were being misled by We Charity and they said, we have never paid the Trudeau family anything. And we obtained an invoice proving that that was just not true, which really is, is the document that I think made this go from like a controversy to a scandal. Would those Canada Land supporters have preferred it if we just buried that, you know, and, and, and didn't report it? I don't know. Like if that's what they felt they were paying for, that we would only run stories that were bad for one political party, then I feel like they should take their business elsewhere. And I don't mean that in a rude way, but they, they can give that money directly to the political party of their choice, or there are plenty of advocacy groups out there that, that can help them, you know, get their politics uh, across. That's not what we do, you know? And I don't know, I can't, I can't take responsibility. I would like to think that when you report true things, only good things happen, but you know, when you report the truth, anything could happen. But the point is, you need to know. Or at least that's who this is for. You know, that's the kind of subscriber I want. I want anyone to subscribe to the show and support us. But really, maybe this is an opportunity to like actually be clear about what it is that people are supporting. So let me put it this way. I want your support if you want to know what's behind the black ink. If you want to know what is behind the government redactions, if you want to know the things that the government doesn't want you to know, that sounds very conspiratorial, but if you want to know the things that powerful people would rather you didn't know, and there are plenty of things like that, that's the service that we provide for you. We provide podcasts that we hope are interesting and entertaining and stories that engage you and all these things, but really that's, that's what we want you to hire us to do. That's the job that I want to be hired for. My team wants you to hire us for. Find out stuff for you. Not everybody values that. Not everybody wants to hire somebody to find out things, but that's, that's who I'm trying to talk to right now. It is our crowdfunding season. It has incredible momentum this year. It, it seems like people understand in a way they didn't before that they're going to have to support the media of their choice if they want to have their own media. And we can, we don't have to just eat what is served to us from the legacy newspapers. We can have our own media and people, I think they get that. And I, I think maybe you get that. So please, um, if you do go to canadaland.com slash join starts at five bucks a month. We give you things to show our appreciation, ad free podcasts, t-shirts, socks, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Thank you. Ryan McMahon. Jesse Brown. Ryan, the host of Return to Thunder Bay, joining us from Thunder Bay, where you're uh, 
putting the finishing touches on that. Host, of course, of Red Man Laughing, uh, upcoming stories from the land on CBC, a million other things. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Ryan, today we're going to talk about a lynch mob in Nova Scotia, barricades and violence in Quebec, more arrests in Ontario at 1492 Landback Lane, more still in British Columbia over the TMX pipeline. We're going to talk about the state of reconciliation in 2020. Mark Ruffalo is now involved, so, so I, I guess we're back on track. Yeah, Hulk smash colonialism uh, coming to theaters in 2022. Ryan, we're also uh, going to talk uh, about what is happening with public health messaging. You know, when they confused us about masks, we were understanding. When they dithered over testing, we were patient. But fuck with trick-or-treating when we have a problem. Good to have you back. It's nice to be here. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Dan Sparks, Nate Welland, Caleb Westerby, Stephen Hausch, Joseph Yarmush, Nadine Warkington Brain, Damon Schreiber, and Nobu. Hi, my name is Nobu Edelman. I'm an artist from Toronto, and I support Canada Land for many reasons. I was a big fan of Jesse's CBC radio show, The Contrarians, from way back when, where in one episode, I'm pretty sure he made a case against sandwiches. At the time, I was horrified, but now, years later, I see that he had a point. Anyway, big or small, Jesse is committed to the issues and built an empire like Canada Land to share them with us. He's got an incredible team who hold massive power structures accountable and educate the rest of us on what is really going on, or at the very least, they make sure that these conversations happen out in the open. Canada's media landscape is beyond tiny, and the slightest voices of dissent can really mess with your career. It takes courage to do what they're doing. So I'm happy to support Canada Land to keep these conversations going. And really, I give such a small amount each month, but if we all do, it adds up. Hardworking journalists get paid, and we keep getting alerts to stream the next report. So Ryan, I think everybody is aware of the situation with the moderate livelihood fishery in Nova Scotia. It went from being something that was being, I think, widely ignored. And then when things turned violent and the lobster pound was burned down and uh, really, I don't know what to call it, but a lynch mob of commercial fishermen were confronting Mi'kmaq fishermen at their lobster pound before it was burned down. After all that happened, it became national news. There are other things going on that are still in that largely neglected phase and it's going on across this country. Maybe we should just run through very briefly the different scenarios that are playing out. And they all seem to have to do with the land. As it always does, right? Like we have a moment of pause in 2015 where we sing Kumbaya and we stand in the middle of the streets proclaiming that we are going to tackle and address this country's history and that perhaps we've landed upon a new moment except for when it comes to the real questions in this country, which is, you know, the actual nation-to-nation relationship between Indigenous peoples in Canada. And that's where the rubber hits the road. And this is where we continue to see flare-ups between Indigenous peoples and sometimes provincial governments, sometimes feds, and, and sometimes just local folks that don't have the information and don't understand the fundamental rights of Indigenous people in Canada. Well, uh, the rubber is hitting the road all over the country, coast to coast. So in in northern Quebec, um, there are Algonquin barricades because unlike in Nova Scotia, where I think it has not been demonstrated that there is a conservation issue with the moderate livelihood fisheries, there is a, a problem with the moose population. 
there's no question that it's been dwindling. And as I understand it, the Algonquin communities that rely on moose hunting for sustenance have set up barricades to prevent non-Indigenous hunters from entering territory and hunting for moose. And there is a very disturbing clip that APTN posted where, in, in fact, they opened up the barricade to this one guy in a pickup truck, this one hunter, and then his wife follows behind. She's got her own pickup truck. And they said, okay, if it's just you two, you can go in and hunt moose. And she, like, drives her pickup truck into one of the people at the barricade. I guess, to be generous, she clips them. I mean, I don't want to, like, downplay it. It's assault with a deadly weapon when you run a pickup truck into a human body. But it's not like she slams into her head on. It looks like she kind of clips into the side of one of these people's uh, bodies. So that's playing out in Quebec. We have covered the situation uh, at Landback Lane. There uh, has been another arrest. It's a meaningful one uh, at Six Nations because it's a member of the Six Nations traditional government who the OPP arrested, like just swarmed by uh, OPP squad cars and they, and they took this, this guy down. There were other arrests as well. Uh, multiple Juno award-winning musician Tom Wilson, also arrested by police uh, at Six Nations. Another thing of note in the story of 1492 Landback Lane is the surveillance that is happening. And, you know, we're hearing stories from community members around Six Nations that as they bring supplies in support of the camp, whether it's a bowl of soup or firewood or drinking water, those folks that are supporting the camp in that way are being surveilled. And that's a story that is sort of falling off the end of the table because the arrests make headlines. But the resources going into surveilling the camp and those that are supporting it is unprecedented. I don't mean to suggest that these stories aren't getting covered. I mean, I'm relying on the coverage to talk about them now. But it is interesting to me, a question of priorities. It's like we're much more interested in people getting hurt. And that's what actually makes things national news. And that's what gets people to pay attention. I don't want to get it wrong. I'm not entirely sure if it was APTN or Maureen Gugu of Kukukwes Independent Indigenous News there. They were on this before anybody gave a damn and, and, and covering it. It is the lobster pound on fire. It is the lynch mob that made this front page news in the Globe and Mail, you know, and there was not a ton of um, recognition of uh, what Maureen had, uh, was doing, except for Mark Ruffalo, who, who linked to her and crashed her site. CBC did like kind of a standalone story of like, who is she? What's she doing? And it was nice. But, uh, you know, again, the issue of creditation is just uh, one that is uh, ongoing and lacking. And we, we need to credit people who bring our attention to this in the first place. Right. And it's it's once, you know. Out on the East Coast, it's it's once that uh, commercial fisherman throws a punch at the chief, it's like indigenous conflict bingo. It's like, okay, we got a punch thrown. Something's on fire. There's like a barricade on the road. And these are the images that Canada gets used to, right? And it, and it creates this scary, like conflict-filled war zone where, you know, the Indians are at it again. And certainly for the East Coast, when you think about Elsa Booktuk during I Don't Know More or Burnt Church before that, I mean, this is, you know, th this is etched into the back of the fearful minds of Joe Canada. But thank God for Maureen Gugu and and Angel Moore of APTN, who's who's out there covering locally with context, um, connected to community, and I think has done a fantastic job of, of really setting the foundation of the conversation. 
I guess that's kind of the question I have for you is thinking about what is the role of local media and why is it so important to have a Maureen Gugu on the ground telling that story properly from the jump? Because she, you know, right from the hop, if you go back to some of her first posts on her website, she's talking about like this actual story is about defining how much an indigenous fishermen can make. This isn't about the fist fight. This isn't about the violence that erupts as a result of commercial fishermen cutting the cables and the wires that hold these lobster traps to Mi'kmaq fishing vessels, but that instead there's a Supreme Court case that has set the precedence. And, you know, all of that conversation that lives in the early days is valuable conversation that people need for context to understand why these fishermen are out there trying to make a living. And, you know, it's predictable. We do this over and over again. And I don't know when that ends. I don't know when that stops. But thank goodness for people like Maureen Gugu and Cuckoo Quace that is doing that work on the ground. Media always like to hedge and, and try to not take a side, right? So you would hear things like, well, the Mi'kmaq claim that they have treaty rights or they claim that they have a legal ability to have a moderate livelihood fishery. And that's kind of like mitigated couched language that I think a lot of people in newsrooms feel, okay, we're not going to go too wrong with that. That way we're not taking a, a side on a legal squabble. But anybody who is immersed in that, and I don't claim to be one, I've just been trying to study up as, as everybody else has. But if you rely on journalists who actually know this stuff and are there, it's not a claim. It's a fact, right? Like you don't say that the OPP claimed to have jurisdiction over policing in Ontario. It's not that there was something specifically terrible in the segment on The Current that Matt Galloway did when he was trying to kind of like grapple with this thing, but it was set up in the way that they set up everything. It's like, now let's hear from somebody who represents the Fishermen's Union. And he was like a slick guy who said like, look, I'm not a racist. You know, we totally respect indigenous rights. This is about conservation. And he had his talking points ready and he, he came across pretty well and, you know, seemed like a reasonable person. And then it's like, now let's hear from the other side. And the other side was just as well represented, but it was a very complicated, it's like, look, let me take you through over 20 years of history here in this teeny little segment. These are not equal sides to the story. And the way it came across, like ultimately it was frustrating and jumbled. And one thing that Trina Roach did when we had her on very quickly was like, she just dispensed with this conservation argument. She's like, look, we're talking about the commercial lobster fishery on the one hand, which is just massive multi-million dollar. And she, she laid out the number of boats, the number of traps, and then 10 boats on the other hand. You know, it, she, she, she just very quickly uh, dispensed of this conservation argument. It's bullshit. We don't have to give that equal time. That's what comes from having beat knowledge and having people who actually uh, are from the communities involved covering these things consistently rather than kind of like rushing to shine a light on something when somebody gets hurt or something is set on fire. APTN National News actually released an infographic which uh, which headlines uh, reads fishery scale comparison. And so they have the Mi'kmaq fishery at 350 traps, which is three and a half black dots. And then they have the commercial fishery <laughs> at 390,000 traps, right. uh, each dot representing 100 traps. Now, when you see that infographic, you see that visually, you're like, oh, this is a goddamn mess. Why is no one telling us that part of the story? And so, yeah, to me, like, you know, the ways that we talk about these things and the timing and our understanding on a very foundational level always becomes the question, right? Like, why not run the headline or the copy that, you know, Canada claims that it's never diluted on, on the question of Canada. The fog is always applied to indigenous rights. And 
I hope that at the end of the day, when we're having this conversation, what we use to ground this conversation and the foundation is the legal and fiduciary responsibility Canada has back to Indigenous people. And, you know, there was an opportunity when the Mi'kmaq first opened up this fishery. They did it as a play to bring the feds to the table. Now, if the Commercial Fishermen's Association and that union had just stepped back for a minute and called for peace, this could have been a great moment of unity where they could have said, hey, you're right. You know what? For 21 years, this has not been defined. Let's get this defined so we can all go back to making a livelihood. So this isn't about conservation. This is about racism. Yeah. And I hate to be like the guy crying about racism all the time, but this dispute is about the double standard that exists in Canada. You know, you hear people say, uh, well, those Indians, why don't they get a job? Well, when we go out and get jobs or create jobs for ourselves, the response often is, well, not those jobs. We don't want you to. We don't want you doing those jobs. This is life or death in a livelihood way of like, you go out there, we're going to cut your traps and destroy that. We're going to, we're going to sabotage and pour concrete on your catch. But it's, it's beyond that. We're going to like have a mob standing outside, not letting you come out with your catch. We're going to sink your boat, which they did. We're going to set on fire the lobster pound. You want to talk about lobster conservation in the media? Like they're a human, like get the fuck out of here. You don't talk like, yeah. like if churches are getting burned in the South, it's like, well, let's have a story about, um, you know, the, the, the level of resources we have for integrating schools. Uh, no, like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. This is, this is about a double standard that exists in Canada and at the highest level of the Supreme court that, that sets the precedent. They've already determined that the Mi'kmaq, have a right to fish and they have a right to an equitable opportunity to feed their families, to make a living, to create jobs and to create careers. But not to get rich. I, and I can't, I can't get over that. There's nowhere else in capitalism where you say we're putting limits like moderate livelihood only. Right. No limit is the rule everywhere else. No limit. Go for it. No limit. For you guys, limits, moderate livelihood. There's an excellent article that came out in the conversation, uh, theconversation.com, written by uh, Megan Bailey, who's an associate professor and Canada research chair. And, um, and basically just takes apart this whole question of conservation. And there are scientists that are basically saying like the number of traps that are going in the water, uh, from Mi'kmaq boats is, is basically a, a, a dropping a grain of sand in the ocean. Like conservation concerns are completely unfounded. And when you have a multinational corporation out there just dragging and trolling uh, the bottom of the ocean for whatever they catch, and you have a, a community that just wants their rights defined. Now, yes, this is about uh, fishing, and this is about lobster, and this is about a right to a livelihood, but it's also about 21 years of inaction from the federal government. And so if you want to, and I say this every time I'm on this show, I say this every time there's a flare up. If you want, if Joe Canada wants to be mad about situations like this, get mad at the people we elect to represent us. Get mad at the inaction of the federal government because the, the treaty rights, uh, indigenous right, inherent indigenous rights, are cooked into the Constitution. It's the deal that was made when Canada became a thing. And when um, the government repatriated the Constitution in 1982, it further cemented those rights. So this is one of the fun ways when people go like, 
uh, indigenous peoples shouldn't get this or that. This is like, bro, if you don't like this country, the country your ancestors came and created, you can leave. Like if you don't want the constitution, if you don't want, you know, to, to address like the actual legal obligation, your country has back to indigenous people. I guess you have one option, you know, get the fuck out. Canadians hate that and rest in peace, Twitter mentions. But I mean, we have, we have laws here. We have a constitution. We have a deal. You know what? I, I'm with you. And, and the Globe and Mail got there. They were like, look, you, you know, the, the, the this is a problem simmering for a long time and blame rests with the federal government and legislation itself needs to needs to catch up with something that was resolved decades ago. I'm with that. But it's all a little bit too convenient because um, I feel like there's this push to like, let's not blame Joe Lunchbox, um, Nova Scotia fishermen and not, let's not go on like an individual racist hunt. You know what? fuck those guys though. Like the more I learned about this and I tried to sit down, I'm like, okay, let me hear what they have to say. Like, is somebody taking food off of their plate? You know, is there, is there something, is there some harm to these lobster fishermen that the Mi'kmaq are now doing it too? And I gave them the time and my attention to, to hear them out. It's not that somebody's taking something away from you. It's that you don't want them to have something. Right. And my sympathy just completely evaporated at that point. And, and, and then the, you know, the thuggish ways in which people have been acting, I, I, I no sympathy whatsoever. No, and I can't sympathize either. And there are some complicating factors here, right? Like they do say that there's a decrease in lobster fishing in St. Mary's Bay, in this territory, in this part of the ocean that is in question. There's no doubt that these stocks, you know, are, are inconsistent at best. And there's no doubt that people are hurting as a result. But fist fights and some of the ugliness we've seen from the front lines of these confrontations that are just abhorrent. I mean, you're talking about using homophobia and language as insults. Like these guys are not sympathetic individuals. These are thugs. They're putting nails into the bottoms of boards to pop the tires of people going into their fisheries. They're mobbing a lobster pound, setting it on fire. I mean, they're confronting the customers. Like they're like, oh, you bought, you bought lobster from, from a Mi'kmaq fisherman. And then, and then like you got like a mob on your doorstep. What the fuck? The, the other question that I have, and, you know, it's dark, but how do you come back from this? How do these communities come back from, from, from this kind of tension? You know, this, this reminds me of Ganesatage or, or, or Oka. This reminds me of what happened in Caledonia mm-hmm. at Six Nations. Like, how do you rebound from this? And, you know, who pays the price are indigenous youth and indigenous women. And we've seen this replicate itself over and over and over in this country. They receive the hands of violence. Not indigenous men, not me. I'm not going to get punched out. Um, but it's going to be the violence that kids experience in high schools. It's going to be the the violence they experience in hockey rinks and lacrosse rinks and basketball courts. And it's going to be the violence that they're going to experience being chased around grocery stores and and shoppers, drug marts and other places that that the fallout, what happens actually from the fallout of this is that it's it's a step backwards it's a, it's we we're we're drawn back to 40 years ago where indians weren't served at restaurants where indians weren't served at gas stations like this harkens back to a dark dark time and uh, my fear always at the end of these things is how we rebound from this and judging by what has gone on out there that's a real question that i don't know we have an answer to yet This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Ryan, what do you got to duly note for us? Uh, well, th- this week I want to bring my attention to uh, Imaginative, which is, of course, the world's largest Indigenous film and media arts festival in the world. It is, I would say, our premier gathering of all things Indigenous storytelling. And uh, their festival launched on Tuesday night. And, of course, this year, because of COVID, they are launching online. The website is festival.imaginative.org. And if you want to experience Indigenous film, media art, and all sorts of interactive and special digital space offerings, there's uh, artist talks, roundtables, guest curated programs. This is where filmmakers like Taika Waititi got their start. Taika, of course, now has floated off into the ether somewhere amongst the stars on planet Earth and uh, basically runs Hollywood. Taika and and many other filmmakers um, bring some of their early films to a festival like Imaginative and often return back to Imaginative. And so I would invite people to check that out. It's been really hard to watch uh, our Indigenous festivals and and conferences and and gatherings like this kind of uh, struggle with the question of how to deliver online. But I will say this is impressive what they've done. They've built a special website and they've gone through a heck of a lot of work to bring this festival to the people. And uh, I invite everyone to check it out, festival.imaginative.org. Imaginative, our neighbors here uh, in the building uh, where our offices are in downtown Toronto, duly noted. Ryan, I want to duly note the the, the compassion and sensitivity with which um, the media has been handling drug addiction stories lately. Um, It has really improved. CTV, the National Post, running prominent stories that humanize drug addiction, uh, allow their subject to speak for themselves. A lot of space has been given for for the circumstances surrounding drug use, addiction, recovery. 
this is like a big departure from, from what you usually see, you know, just the dehumanization and the othering of addicts, blaming of addicts uh, from those same news sources. So, so kudos, you know, like we have to acknowledge progress when we see it. The only problem, Ryan, is that these uh, compassionate and thoughtful stories about drug addiction were about one specific recovering addict, Dr. Jordan Peterson. That's right. If they could just extend that, that same approach to, you know, thousands of other people who are dying right now in the opioid epidemic, we'll be getting somewhere. Well, uh, you know, our friend Garth Mullins, who makes the Crackdown podcast uh, with his team over in the downtown east side, um, all of the war correspondents there that uh, work on that podcast often talk about what progress would look like in regards to these stories. And, and I've been on panels with Garth and have heard him speak many times. And he said that when the mainstream media's drug coverage stops using back alleys and dirty needles and instead puts the photos of big suburban houses with white picket fences inside of its coverage, he'll know that they'll have made uh, progress. And I suppose they partly did that by telling us about Mr. Peterson. But uh, as I can tell you, digging into the Thunder Bay story here, looking at the impacts of the opioid epidemic locally here, this crisis, this epidemic does not know race, it does not know class, and it doesn't give a shit who you are. It's, uh, it's in our neighborhoods, um, it's in our families, and it's everywhere. And um, I, I agree. There's there's a long way to go. Duly noted. Ryan, you're in Thunder Bay now. You live in Winnipeg, and uh, I don't know what the deal is there, but over here, we're getting fucked around. Wearing a mask, and sometimes you can actually uh, use different fabrics to turn it into part of your costume. Um, but there's some really interesting ideas where people are handing out, you know, uh, treats at the end of a hockey stick or something using a pool noodle to tell your kids how far they should be standing apart from each other. So there are ways to actually manage this. We just can't have hundreds of kids showing up at your door if you live in a hotspot, especially in apartment buildings. That means no traditional door-to-door trick-or-treating in Toronto, Peel, York, and Ottawa. I listened to Teresa Tam when she said, no worries, Halloween is on. And I passed that message on to my kids and told my, and they, it's a big deal. Like they're planning their costumes months in advance. It's, it's like, it's kind of like, I don't know. Is it bigger than the Christmas Hanukkah? Like it's, it's right up there anyhow. And then Ontario comes in and calls off trick or treating. What the fuck? Like it, we should have led with this because there's, there's nothing else that I'm hearing people, and this is my little bubble of, of you know, entitled parents, but like <laughs> th- in a lived experience way at home, there this is the media story that beats every other. Because like where the contrary messages that we're getting, the contrary media is fucking up my shit and fucking with my kids. It's Halloween. Yeah. Well, like what a journey this has been. If, if we can go back to the original coverage uh, and what we understood in March, where it was like, oh, don't worry, everyone. Uh, it's not uh, your kids are not at all at risk. It's just uh, old people and obese people that had lack vitamin D. And you're like, oh, thank God, because I'm not old. I mean, I'm, I'm approaching obese and I'm pretty sure I lack vitamin D. But, oh, thank God, my kids are going to survive. And, that, and, and, and now we're canceling Halloween. Like... It seems to me 
that uh, and and you know if I didn't know otherwise, it might seem to me that uh, there's just some people pulling shit out of a hat, going like, how how do we contain how do we contain the misery of people? What can we tell them next? And uh, I yeah, the Halloween thing's confusing because I thought we were allowed to go outside. I thought like fresh air and parks and everything were kind of like what we were allowed to do. Oh yeah, but on, only if you're wearing masks. And uh, socially distanced and uh, not touching things. Wait, wait. That covers trick-or-treating like perfect. Like if you had to invent something that people could do that might be fun to make up for everything you're not allowed to do, you would invent trick-or-treating. But in Ontario, you can go to a dance studio for some fucking reason. And that's okay. But, but, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's this balancing act between, right. You know, really trying to give people like good messaging yeah. just trying to be responsible as somebody yeah. who who like has people listening to them that this is a time when we we do need to listen to what the authorities tell us and we all have to come together and we have to put our personal interests on hold uh, blah 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 and, and not try to kind of just like get a joke in at the expense of that because like to fray the social contract is consequential right now and on the other hand we're supposed to be kind of watchdogs for like you know, uh, a check against power and a rationalizing factor. And the balance here is really off. Like, I I don't mind saying I'm going to disobey. Like, we're going out, Uh, you know, and and I worry about how people are going to receive further instruction from public health authorities. And it's not unilateral. Like, uh, you know, UBC put out this this comparison between BC and Ontario and just how badly we've botched things here, you know, you, you can check this out and we'll, we'll put links to this, this chart, but like, uh, just to look at a few of these points in BC under communicators, relatively few communicators with public health messaging, all provincial, mainly Dr. Bonnie Henry and health minister, Adrian Dix in Ontario. Anybody can say what people should do, you know, a wide range of provincial, regional, municipal communicators often contradicting each other. That's not in the chart, but I'll, I'll say that because they have the division of labor in messaging in BC. Bonnie Henry communicates hygiene guidelines and as well as like civic values, you know? So she's talking about not just here's the rules, but kind of like, listen, here's why you should do it. In Ontario, we've got Doug Ford trying to kind of impress upon us what the values around this should be. And then the science comes from elsewhere. And then Ford often gets the science wrong. And I don't know, it goes on and on just the way that this is discussed. Like, why should you do this in BC? Pro-social messaging, uh, stressing protection of communities, stressing the protection of the most vulnerable, elders. In Ontario, it's all self-emphasis. You know, the metaphors used in BC, natural, environmental. The metaphors in Ontario, military, conflict, combat. There is a stark difference here. And I think it's breaking people's trust. And like, we need that trust because we don't know what's next right. or where this is going to go. And like, we need people to listen to information and give it credibility and do as they're told when it's necessary. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to universalize my own gripe here. Cause it's just like Halloween, man, trick or treating. Really? I mean, I, I, I think, I think you're on to some, I mean, summertime, summertime was really hard for people and you know, things got a little loose the bars are open. Um, you saw restaurants in downtown Toronto being closed because there's videos emerging of of, of people just having full on uh, parties and dance parties and like there's private parties. It, you know, we just it got too loose. And and I think I think what's what's what we're learning is just how quickly this can get away from us. 
And um, I don't know. I mean, this may be <laughs> a little hackneyed, but I'm 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 waiting for Ford to go like full Chris Farley and just lose his shit and just go, listen, you can have Halloween back, but you can only do so. Uh, by 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 the following, you need to wear latex gloves, and and we're 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 sending out slingshots to everyone, and you can only slingshot uh, tootsie rolls into the waiting pillowcases of of the young ones standing at the foot of your sidewalk, and <laughs> and um, you're not allowed to slingshot apples towards kids under the age of nine because. Those could devastate the life of a kid. We don't need concussions. And I'm just waiting for something ridiculous like this to happen at the last minute. What 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 is what Chris Farley movie have you seen? What is this lost work of Chris Farley? That's a very detailed vision that you just painted there. I just when I hear him talk, I just think like Farley would play him if Farley were alive. Like if the if if the Ford movie was ever. I mean, that's the brother. If not for Rob, then that would yeah. I guess I guess I see them as I see them as the same thing to me. To me, I don't even know the difference. I I thought that was Rob Ford. Anyway, it could be like um, one of those Eddie Murphy movies where he plays each character and then. That's right. That's right. And and look, it's 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 not a laughing matter. People are still dying. People are still really suffering from from uh coronavirus and and I, I i just think that the inconsistencies are the most frustrating part right we understand that people are losing their livelihood we understand that um that this is economically this is going to depress us for a long long time and there's a line here where you know we are trying to save people's lives we are trying to save people's livelihoods we are trying to to do the right thing for all of us but um, I don't. I don't know how taking away the kids' Halloween accomplishes that. It's like the plot of a movie of like if they try to steal Halloween. I don't know. I don't. I, you know, I just I, I, part of it is that, and and the, the way that this is actually playing out in people's homes, and the other way is just like when when it really I can like whine every week. I'd find fault, but like when when it really hits you that no one is really with a brain is in charge, like that. Ryan, we might not be governed all that well. I, I guess I'm starting to realize, like we we really might not be governed very well. I'm going to Cabela's, which is a hunting store. Back I'm going to, to get stone. a slingshot. Okay, yeah, Did and I'm going to sit on the pillowcases, or is that a separate stop? Because then there's a that's more a, risk exposure. That's, that's a separate stop. I would encourage all kids to come by with. Uh, pillowcases and perhaps a hockey helmet. Cause I, I can't, I can't ensure uh, accuracy, but I'll slingshot Tootsie rolls off my front step at anybody that walks by, even, even looking like they're trying to trick or treat. Look, if you're out walking a dog, I might slingshot a Tootsie you're, roll. You're your going to be in the dog in the ear with a Tootsie roll. <laughs> yeah. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Ryan, thank you. Hey, thanks for this. It was fun. Uh, I can be emailed at jesse at canadalandshow.com, and I read everything that people send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Ryan McMahon, where can people find you? At rmcomedy on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, you can also go and subscribe to the same Thunder Bay feed that had the original series, because that is where Return to Thunder Bay is coming. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb, with additional production by Kate McIntosh. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. 
If you like what we do, please support us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.